DJ and PK in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. John Willer, San Jose Mercury News, syndicated around the Pac-12 footprint. Has the Utes preseason top spot in the Pac-12 South. PK, do you realize a year from now we will have two topics in this area instead of just one? You're speaking, of course, BYU to the Big 12. BYU to the Big 12. Bonus segments created just for DJ and PK and other sports talk oh, shows I'm looking across forward the to West. That. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. right? Yeah, Chris Hill used to talk about how uh, it was like a revitalization when they went from the Mountain West to the Pac-12. I don't feel like, and, and it wasn't like he was in a slump or just taking his job for granted. I don't think he was saying that. But the excitement level was just through the roof. I think that's the point he was making. There were sure. new challenges. Yeah. Brand new, very different challenges. Right, right. Big and challenges. That, and, and so to that degree. That's going to energize you. That's what BYU is facing right now. There's no question. Because they feel those challenges, even though they don't have to compete on the field and in the standings yet. The last time Tom Holmo spoke about this, that I heard him speak about this publicly, he was re- he was really clear about it. This is like, hey, you got to hit reset. You got to consider a lot of stuff. And what do we have to do differently? What do we have to do better? Obviously, fundraising. Chad Lewis had that hilarious line the last time we had him on the air. Oh, we had people who uh, said, well, you know, if you ever go Power 5, come back to us. It was kind of, it's kind of the Heisman, right? It's the Heisman of the development guy. <laughs> Put the hand on the forehead. Stiff arm. You're not coming anywhere near me in my wallet. And then, and then he's like, well, we're going back to him. <laughs> His yeah. timing was perfect. I, I think they're talking about it all the time. Oh, I yeah. just read uh, last night he did, he and the woman who, they used to have it where there was a woman AD and a man AD, but I think they've uh, consolidated. But the top female uh, administrator athletically, I think is a lady named Liz Darger for BYU. Liz Darger, yeah. And they did a podcast with uh, Sherry Dew. And you can listen to it, but they also, on the DNews website, they had it in the printed form. I did not listen to it. I read it, and it's extensive. And she basically is interviewing both of uh, the two administrators, uh, Ms. Darger and Tom Homo. And, you know, they're talking about it. They're, they are well aware of everything that's out there. There's just no doubt about it. And it's a gear up. And it's going to be a major challenge. Absolutely, it's going to be a major challenge. And it's going to be exciting to see how they do. You know, what level of success do they have? They're going to have success. It's not like they're going to be barren. But what level of success, I can't really say. Now, for one, you know, it's it's still uh, a season away. Mm-hmm. For basketball, it's a season and a half. But for basketball, we know it is going to it's be, gonna be a you huge. You know what? I mean, yeah. it's going to be a buster. <laughs> but at the same time, Mark Pope is going to go to work, and he's going to be able to sell that because he sold. I can tell you, he sold that we got to do this. And what I was told is that he provided names of players that they thought they might have been able to get, but didn't get because of the West Coast Conference. 
right? I mean, it's a big game Saturday night against San Francisco. San Francisco, that young coach there, he's doing a phenomenal job. He's probably not going to be there long. And he buoyed up his roster with a bunch of transfers. And they're a pretty good ball club, right? They took BYU right down to the end, had a 10-point lead, couldn't hold it basically late in the game. Well, there's 2,000 people there, right? I mean, it's an old rickety gym. I've been there. And meanwhile, that, Baylor. That, yeah. I mean, that matters to kids. Clearly, it matters. And so you could see why they would lose some players, particularly if you're being recruited by Big 12 teams, that the passion is incredible. So he's going to be able to get some guys, and it's going to be a major challenge in football, too. The rest of the sports, uh, you know, I'm not as up to date, but obviously those are the premier sports. And it's going to be something that's going to be super exciting. And I guess uh, Dennis Dodd will have him on tomorrow. He had a thing out yesterday talking about the divisions that they're going to be in. I'm, lo- down. I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can do it north-south. You can do it east-west. So they threw out a projection of one way that you could do it. Now they're planning seven-team divisions because right now they're planning that Oklahoma and Texas stay to the end of the TV contract and the grant of rights. But they're trying to build it so that whenever Oklahoma and Texas leave, yeah, they yeah. just vaporize. It goes to six-team right. divisions. But you don't have to adjust anything because all the schools want to start building rivalries. There's so many new schools who haven't played each other. And they don't want to have to, you know, hit reset in 2026. Yeah, but I, I don't know when that will happen uh, in terms of more expansion, but I think there will be. I, I, I mean, I think that they went after Power 5 programs. There's no doubt in my mind that they're, they're thinking big. And why not? Why not think big? The SEC thought big and got two big brand names. So, yeah, I get the premise to, to, to separate Oklahoma and Texas so when they leave, that you, you just have keep it going. All set up, yeah. but they might have. Wouldn't surprise me by then if they have more teams or shortly thereafter. But anyway, yeah. What what are they in then? They uh, and so in uh, the CBS uh, Sports dot com story, the Dennis Dodd story, they went uh, north south, and they had BYU in the north with Cincinnati, Iowa State, the two Kansas schools, and the two Oklahoma schools, and then they put. The five Texas schools in the South Division with UCF and West Virginia. Well, that completely and totally makes sense, geolo- or not geologically, uh, geographically. Does to me, anyway. I like the geologically. That was good. Geologically. Yeah, I'm not sure of the topography. If I study the rocks, they tell me. I've been to West Virginia, but I don't think I've been to Morgantown. So I'm not sure. Uh, but you want to rock on either way. I mean, that's just the whole point of this. Bada bing. As you get to rock, and so that—that's the goal—is to rock in in this new conference. This is this is going to be, it, it, to me, it's going to be more energizing than Utah to the Pac-12. That's hard to believe. Well, then let me give you my reason. That was pretty energizing. It was, but at the same time, they were in a pretty good spot. Utah was. You had TCU, BYU, right? Those were good football programs. And then you can count on maybe whether it's a CSU or San Jose State. Nah, I realize they sucked in those days, but they're usually Air Force. You know, there was usually some halfway decent competition. New Mexico with Rocky Long can were, was able to rise up and bite you occasionally. You know, they handed Urban one of his two losses at Utah, and they were a tough-minded team under Rocky because freaking Rocky is a tough-minded guy. 
We've seen that a thousand times over. So the point I'm making is it was a decent conference. Plus, there wasn't the big divide between the Power Five and the non and the group of five. It didn't exist then. So there wasn't that stigma. You see what I'm saying? And so you got that. So Utah was Utah was in a good spot. They were regularly sending guys to the NFL. Uh, the fans were interested. They were going pretty good. Now, obviously, the Pac-12 was better. There's no question. But they were in a good spot. BYU, you just go back two, three years, and it seemed like they were doomed to independence forever. Right? I mean, they want, Utah wanted to go to the Pac-12, obviously. But you didn't have their coach coming out, yeah, the Mrs. Mountain West isn't sustainable. We can't do this. <laughs> and the four wins, and the nobody's expanding, and what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a low watermark. There's no right. doubt about it. Right. So that's what you had. And your Bronco was a highly successful coach, and he's telling you, we, we can't do this. And he was the guy who was winning 43 games in, in four years or whatever it was, something like that, and they were winning conference titles. So he was your boss basically running the show, and he's saying, this isn't going to work. And you didn't hear Kyle saying that. They, they, they got to the Sugar Bowl. They got to the Fiesta Bowl in those years. So certainly it was workable. It was sustainable. It's better now, obviously. But BYU was in a far worse situation. So that's why I say this means more to the Cougars than what the Utes went through, even though obviously it meant a heck of a lot because they were in no man's land, speaking of BYU. Utah was not. So that's my reasoning. So I look at the uh, Big 12 Conference standings from last year and the way they're splitting up divisions, and you have Oklahoma State, who finished first but ultimately didn't win the title game. They'd be in the north. Oklahoma, Iowa State, K-State, 3-4-5, also in the north. And you got Cincinnati and BYU joining the league, and obviously Cincinnati was in the playoff. That's a great league. That's a great division as far as I'm concerned. I can argue strongly that's better than the Pac-12 South, can I? Right now, who knows in two years or five years or whatever it might be, but right now today. Kansas is seven. But then everybody else looks at everybody else and is like, well, who's six? It's a dogfight, man. I don't want it to be me. Yeah. (laughs) I can argue that those six teams could be bowl eligible. Yes, totally buy that. Because K-State's coming off an 8-5 and five year, and they would be, of the returners in the Big 12, depends on where you slot in BYU and Cincinnati, and nobody's slotting in Cincinnati as six when they were just fourth in the country. Right. So K-State or BYU would be the one pick sixth? I think they would probably default yeah. to BYU because they would be new, new that first year. Yeah. I think it's going to be what Chris Hill said, and he said it. we had him on last month as we reflected on the historic run that the Utah football program had. And I remember him telling me when they were making the transition, he said, no longer can we judge our athletic programs, and he's the boss of all of them. When, I mean, even if they don't have a lot of visibility, he still was the boss of them, and you know, what they wanted him to do well. And he said, we don't, ha- we no longer can judge our success by conference titles. Uh, we got to look at NCAA tournaments. And he was pointing to uh, women's volleyball. You know, we could finish sixth and still go to the NCAA tournament, be right in the middle, you know, in the Mountain West. WAC probably couldn't do that. But in this conference, 
where that's where they get the con, you know, Bill Walton's uh, tagline is because they win so many titles in those other sports. And he was talking about that. So I think that with well, the point I'm making is that and, and, and Chris Hill went so far as to say uh, we need to take down the banners of conference titles in the Huntsman Center because we may not have many of them and we need to replace them with NCAA tournament appearances. Because that's ultimately the goal, yep. right? Arizona winning the national title in basketball in a year. I think they finished fifth in the conference race in men's basketball. Well, they met their goal. Who cares if they finished fifth? And so he and I didn't know that until he said it on our show last month. You go back and listen to it, and let's put up NCAA appearances. Well, the point I'm making here for the Cougars is they could have a successful season and finish fourth, finish fifth in their own division, but yet it still could be considered particularly in the early days as you're building this thing, successful. That North Division of Cincinnati, BYU, Iowa State, and then the two Kansas schools and the two Oklahoma schools, Kansas would be the only team in that group that wasn't bowl eligible last year. So for you to say they'll all be bowl eligible next year, not a reach. The the crossover, the Big 12 South would be viewed as the weak sister division because it's basically the bottom half of the league. UCF would have to be looking at those schools like, yeah, put us in with those guys. Let's yeah, and, and UCF has slipped a little bit, but they, yeah. it's invariable they're going to because they were on top of the world a few years back. But, you know, I wouldn't rule them out because we're talking about BYU getting a shot in the arm going to the Big 12. Well, we certainly can argue Houston and UCF. UCF and Cincinnati right? are getting a shot in the arm. Yeah, it's, it's not just going to be the, the Cougars alone. Everybody can cash in to one degree or another. As good as Cincinnati has been, and they have had a couple of just awesome years here, you have to assume that what Mark Pope said, Luke Fickle saying too. We could have gotten this guy, but we weren't in the Big 12. Yeah, And, and he got lots of good players, so they no wouldn't doubt. have pulled off what they've done. But yeah. nonetheless, there has to be somebody who got away when he's thinking, if we'd been in the Big 12, we would have gotten that player. And I also think for the existing members – the conference now becomes stabilized. We're so maybe they get a boost out of it. Tw- right. Twice in the last however many years, the conference looked yeah. like it was in jeopardy. Well, by bringing these programs in, I think it totally stabilizes. The, you never know what's going to happen. I can't predict any of that stuff, right? It's, it could be crazy again. But for the time being, you would think in at least this recruiting cycle, they can go out and sell – we have a stable conference. We're we're going to get you in front of uh, fans that care. Look, in the South, you know, every year you're going to go to Provo. There's going to be sixty four thousand people there. Game's going to be on national television. It just is, right? And 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 go depending if you're in the the heartland of the conference, go west. We'll pack. Eddie draws out there, but. You know, obviously they've got a pretty good program there. You never know. Fickle could leave and it could fall apart. Uh, who's to say? You, you, just, you just don't know. I mean, we just used the example of BYU going back four years when they were 4-9 and looking like, oh, my gosh, they are just drifting in. This is a bad state to be in. And here they are now uh, with double-digit wins the last two seasons and preparing to go into the Big 12. Things can change quickly. They can, uh, and I don't want to say Cincinnati can't hold on to their coach since Notre Dame and Oklahoma just lost, had their coaches poached by other schools. So certainly, you know, that could happen to Cincinnati. But however good his job was two years ago or a year ago when he was passing on offers, it's a better job now that he's in the Big 12. 
And nonetheless, the next LSU or USC could come calling and he could be gone. But it seems like the list of schools well, could be gone to is shorter now. Ryan, Ryan Day goes to the NFL. Yep. If he gets the Ohio State job, he's going. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. We're all going. Uh, all right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. So the Utes, the early pick to win the Pac-12 South. The Cougars, one year away from seeing where they slot in the Big 12 North, if that is indeed how they break it down. Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBSSports.com, had that story. We'll have him on the show tomorrow morning. DJ and PK, we got Mike Smith, jazz analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. Coming up next, we'll talk to him about Donovan Mitchell, concussion protocol, out for tonight's game against the Rockets. The Jazz have lost six of the last nine, five of the last six, coming off that loss to the Lakers. They need a win to turn things around. And we will talk to Mike Smith about that next. Stay with us. This is Hanson Scotty. Let's do it. Are they a good team? Absolutely. Are they a team that's going to be a top four team in the West? Absolutely. Are they a team that I expect to win a series or two in the NBA playoffs? Absolutely. Is this a team that I have any level of expectations to challenge for an NBA title right now? No, I do not. Not to say that this team is currently constituted can't get there, but I think that if they are going to challenge for a title, then they're going to have to do something at trade deadline to find a piece or two to get them over the top. I could still see the Jazz post All-Star break. I could see this team going on a 9, 10, 12 game winning streak. I could still see this team as a Western Conference Finals team. What kind of a show is this? Catch Hans Olsen and Scotty G every day from noon to 3 on 97.5 1280 The Zone. Powered by KSLSports.com DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Mike Smith joins us again, Utah Jazz Analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. See him on the pregame, halftime, and postgame shows. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Mike. Yak feverishly pushes buttons. How are you? Uh, it'd be better if the real Mike Smith was here, not you doing your Mike Smith impersonation. Was this to tell the truth? Will the real yes, Mike will Smith... the real Mike Smith <laughs> please stand up? Come on the line. <laughs> Would that work anymore? It's such a social media and websites, everybody's uh, photo is out there. You don't have anonymous faces the way you used to. Well, I think it'd have to be three of them would have to be anonymous. Right. I think to tell the truth is aged out. It's not happening. Well, they don't They don't have any of those shows anymore. No. The password is. Password could be brought back. I think it should be brought back. Good show. Uh, it's basically, it's like Wheel of Fortune and uh, Price is Right, right? Jeopardy. Jeopardy, there you go, Jeopardy. Yeah, but that's where we sit with game shows. Oh, yeah. Family Feud is still out there. The Let's feud. play the feud! It's hilarious to see the old ones now. They have this old-fashioned Family Feud, you know, like there's a Family Feud from the 1800s or something, and now everything's bright lights and neon, man. They, the look of the game has totally changed differently. It's just unbelievable. My mother, all through my life, she was, uh, two of them were staples. The Price is Right, and it come on at 9 o'clock in the morning in Arizona, and it was a ritual. And she'd be swearing at the people, you dumb bleep, you overbid. <laughs> no way that washing machine costs that much. <laughs> <laughs> it was that one, and Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> 
which if you walk through Vegas casinos, they have those things blasting out too. So I've got that wheel of fortune just ringing in my ears at all times, uh, especially when I'm in a Vegas casino walking through. I can't believe that they haven't licensed some version of Sports Shepherd at ESPN. They got a thousand daytime shows, and a lot of them look alike. Yeah, but I mean, it's not a it, everything is opinion. You got to have an opinion now. Yeah, but do you really need that many opinion shows? You couldn't do it with one less opinion show. I mean, I maybe think not, could, and but maybe they don't. Not. No, oh well. Uh, granted, they don't. <laughs> All right, let's hit again. We're gonna hit the reset button. You ready, PK? Yes. Yeah, I can use some sound effect. Okay, whatever. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's time to bring in Mike Smith, Utah Jazz Analyst for AT&T Sportsnet. Mike, good morning. Good morning. Not sure if you guys can hear me, but I could hear you fine. I don't know what happened. <laughs> we can hear you. It's all it's all set now. It's like we just had to hit reset the way the Jazz have to hit reset. Oh, nice. Thank you. <laughs> and I don't think any of this specifically tells the truth. You can say a team's lost five of six or six of nine, but they were missing Rudy for some of those. And then you can say, oh, they're not going to have Donovan, but Houston and Detroit aren't any good, and they ought to be able to win when they're shorthanded. Of course, they just didn't beat Detroit when they're shorthanded. So a lot of it, it isn't so much, and PK loves this, the numbers don't really tell the story, it's more the feeling. And right now it doesn't feel good. And it's deeper than that. How much does that really pull on a locker room? And how much can a locker room just let all that stuff go and just play the game that's in front of them? That's a great question. Uh, Depends on the locker room, right? Um, I played on Celtic teams that nothing seemed to phase them. Right? Of course, they'd won three championships in the 80s. And so when I joined them in 89, we went through a little lull and started two and six. And, you know, the coach was a brand new head coach, Jimmy Rogers. He, he called a team meeting after we lost in Detroit. Bird had eight points in the game. It snapped some crazy 700-game streak where he'd scored double figures or more. And, and you know, we weren't going to practice that day because it was a travel day, but he brought us all in and, and we signed about a thousand basketballs in this little room. And, you know, coach this then addressed the team and it was really odd. I mean, it's granted, it's like my first two, three weeks in the NBA. And here's this coach who says, you know, some words to the team, which took about five minutes. And then he says, he, he looks at Larry Bird and he says, and, and oh, and I should tell you this, Larry, after the Detroit game, had called himself a point forward because some reporter had asked him, you know, what, what's up? You only scored eight points first time in, you know, 750 games. And Larry said, oh, I'm just a point forward at this stage of my career. I don't get shots. I don't. So he kind of went off a little bit, got his message out there. And so coach, like in front of the whole team, this looks right at Larry and said, you know, doggone it, Larry, you got something to say. You say it to me. And you, you address the team. You don't take it to the media first. And then he continued and he went on and, you know, whatever else he had to say. It wasn't long. Granted, we'd been there for an hour. We'd signed a thousand balls. We were then just going to go at our leisure or optional shooting practice and leave. They called it a travel day back in the day. And we wouldn't even have come in, right? We had just flown in that morning. <laughs> so Coach then says, uh, before you guys go do what you got to get uh, you know, done, training or rehab or therapy, 
Anybody have anything to say? <laughs> DJ and PK, Larry stands up. He looks right at the head coach. And he says, I, I can't even use the language on radio, but you MFers right at the coaches listen and pay way too much attention to what the media thinks and says. He says, all we need to do is play better defense. Now, I suggest we go practice. <laughs> we weren't supposed to practice. We went and practiced for two hours. It was like my first indication who was running that show and who was running that team. So I guess it depends on your locker room. Like, is your, is your best player your strongest personality? Is your best player the one who can motivate others and get them to step up? And I, I think the numbers guys do tell a story and that's to, even though they've lost like you guys said five or six six of nine and there have been extenuating circumstances but they still have the seventh best home record and there's been some debacles at home games they should have never lost they still have the fourth best road record and if you take road wins versus home losses which kind of balances out who's played the most at home and who's most on road. Only Phoenix, Golden State, and Miami are ahead of the Jazz in that category. So I'm not hitting any panic button, but I know the visuals and I know the eye test of late say, whoa, something's wrong. You obviously played with some strong, strong leadership. I mean, legendary, all-time. A hundred years from now, they'll be talking about Bird and and the other guys that he had on his cast. And so you saw it firsthand. The Jazz are an interesting situation because they've got some veterans. And, you know, Mike Conley, he seems outwardly, he's very uh, insightful when he speaks, but I don't know how much of a strong presence he is. And then you got foreign guys, and you wonder, can those guys really do it? And then you got the younger guy in Mitchell, and it seems like Mitchell, he's so willing to put himself out there on all sorts of issues. It's obviously not just even by any stretch of the imagination really reduced or limited to basketball. We've seen that a million times over with him, and more power to him as far as I'm concerned. But I'm wondering if they have that guy says, listen... This thing isn't going to get away from us here. We got a really good team, and we got a shot, and we need to do A, B, C. Do they have that guy who can stand up and augment what Quinn Snyder and his staff are trying to get done? The best, the best answer to that is, I guess you don't know. Sorry for the garage opening; too loud in the background. But Donovan is your best leader, no question about it. Right? Like, he's, he's really good. And he's becoming a fantastic player, not just a really good young player. At 25, the things he's doing now are, are remarkable. His shot is improving. The range is improving. Uh, his ability to get a shot going forward, like downhill and facing a guy, is so much better than it was even a year ago or two years ago when he relied on spins and euros and these leaning layups, which he was great at. But I I just watch his game being refined. And then his assist is is playmaking. You go back 24 games right now, he's averaging almost five and a half assists. Do you know how many guys in the history of the game averaged 30 and six 
in a season? Like very few. It's a handful. LeBron's only done it twice. Jerry West twice. Oscar did it a bunch. But Harden's done it, of course, when he had the ball in his hands every single play and shot it every single time. Westbrook's done it once. Rick Barry once. But Kobe never did it. KD's never done it. Steph's done it once. Um, I mean, that's where Donovan's headed, in my opinion. He's going to have a 30-point season with a six-assist season. That's like otherworldly stuff. So he's your guy, and he is the strongest personality. It seems like, to me, Mike is your second-best leader because he's so full of integrity. But I think you're right a little bit. He, he's more reserved. He's more quiet. He doesn't show it you know, with big demonstrations, and he's quiet and thoughtful and a thinker. So off the court, you know, he's reflective, which is good. You want that guy. If you have the other guy who steps up, stands out, and speaks. We had two alphas in Boston. Like McHale and Bird were both always the loudest. Loudest in the locker room and loudest on the court and loudest in the timeouts. Um, that was good for us because we had a bunch of big personalities. And I think Rudy's your next best leader. The other guys aren't, and Bogey never will be, but that's okay. You don't need him to be. You need him to shoot and score. And by the way, the reason they lose to the Lakers is Bogey, Donovan, uh, Rudy Gay, and Bogey go one for 26 <laughs> from three. Like, it was an anomaly game to me. It was a fatigue game, a schedule loss, if you will. I never, I never thought they were going to win that game just by the nature of the travel and the back-to-back nature of it. I just thought, no. The Lakers sitting there waiting for him, coming off a huge loss. I, I just didn't think they would. Now they had a chance. So, PK, you know, we don't know yet, right? But those in my ranking of three, Donovan, Mike, Rudy, are your three biggest. It's hard to do it in another language. I've done that. I've been the loudest personality in the five years I played in Europe on an Italian team and four years on Spanish teams. And I was fluent in Spanish and close to fluent in Italian. And it's hard to do it in your second language to really show what's inside you because your mind's constantly thinking of how do I express myself? And thus, sometimes your true personality doesn't come out. But anyway, I hope that, hope that answers that. Mike Smith joining us. You see him on the Jazz pre-half and post-game shows. The trade deadline is coming up, and there's lots of rumors out there, and most of them probably won't happen. The name that's caught my attention, Jeremy Grant, Detroit. I'm not convinced if I'm the Pistons, I'd trade him. They're going to have cap room. they got Cunningham. Whether it's a free agent signing or whether it's a lopsided money trade and they take on a lot of salary, it seems like they got a chance to see where this can go going forward. But let's assume they are going to trade him. I think he could have a big impact on whoever he went to, obviously depending on which team and what they had to give up. Am I overestimating the impact he could have on a Western Conference playoff race if he showed up here? Is there somebody else you're looking at? Is should he be target number one for a team trying to make a major move? What do you think? It's a good thought. Um, yeah, I'm sure Detroit, you know, is total in total rebuild mode. So they'd probably be willing to give him up for draft picks or some young talent. And yes, he would help a squad. No question about it. Uh, I didn't think he was the guy, right? Like when he came out of, is it Syracuse early on? I just 
you know, I know his father's, um, his father and his brother, they're my era, right? Harvey and Horace were tremendous players. Uh, I'm, I'm impressed with what. Mike, you there? We lost you. All right, well, we lost him. Yaka will work on getting him back. I'm impressed. Technically a jinxed interview right there. <laughs> that did not. The technology, well, technology bit the front end and the back end of that interview. We, we haven't had that very often, so I, I think that was, that was a scheduled uh, glitch. You guys there still? Yeah, now we got you. All right. We just lost you mid-word there. You were talking about him coming out of college, and you didn't think oh he was a guy. He was, he was a second-round draft pick, so you're not alone. I mean, obviously teams like the potential, but he lasted to pick 39. Yeah, and he's impressed. Like, he's, he's surprised and overwhelmed me, and I thought he was going to be a 12-point guy and last for 10, 11 years and be an okay player. He's, he's done really well, especially with the opportunity. So uh, I guess the point I was making when I went away is that I think he'll help whatever team. And if he becomes your third or fourth best player on a team, that's a good that's a good get. And I also said Detroit, I think, would be willing, since they're in complete rebuild mode, to move him for young talent, for picks, for all those things. I don't know if the Jazz have enough to make a move like that. And I don't know if you're with the Jazz, you want to break up something that's, you know, technically working and has the chance to work. And do you, do you blow up chemistry and for that? Because they do have a good locker room. they got guys that fit. But, hey, Danny and Justin and Ryan, I think they got one goal. <laughs> and that's win a championship. So uh, I, they will not hold back if they think a move is going to work. I know that about... Danny, I don't know if it was on this show or another show that I was on maybe a week ago. Somebody asked me about the personality of Danny. I said, listen, he is not, he's not Ben Hogan. He's not a U.S. Open golfer. And maybe this analogy doesn't apply to anyone but PK, who does understand the inner workings of golf. But PK, I'm a, I'm a fairway and green U.S. Open type player. Give me my 15 pars and three birdies. I'm happy. Danny goes for broke on every hole. <laughs> and so when I play him, and we play a lot, and it's super fun, he always orchestrates this game, you know, like uh, bogey or less, right? Because he, he's going for every five. He's trying to drive every green. He just he goes for things. It's his personality. And it, he's, you know, on the basketball court, he's that guy. And I'm the other guy, right? And I grind and beat his butt most often. But in this role, he's perfect because he's not afraid. He's earned his stripes. And if there's a deal to make happen, he won't be afraid to make it go. Yeah, that's what you basically just answered the question that I was going to ask because I know you know him well and you've known him well for many, many years, probably as well as anybody in the organization, really. And and now you're – you know, you're not a decision maker, but you are part of the organization now. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, w- and I, I can buy it. You know, I've been around him a little, not nearly as much as you, obviously. And then, obviously, we've all followed him from a distance for many years. And 
we know he's going to fight, scratch, and claw, literally, to get what he wants. We've seen it in his playing days. There's just yeah. no doubt about that. I'm wondering uh, what you think of how that's going to mesh with Justin Zanuck and Ryan Smith. Well, um, I know Ryan second best of that bunch. And I don't know Ryan, the executive or the businessman, as much as I know Ryan, the golfer and the friend. And so uh, I, he's a competitive guy, too. And so I, I've been on buses with these guys and, you know, on a BYU golf trip and playing nine rounds in 12 days and sitting on the front of the bus and just talking our tails off about sports and basketball and, you know, life. And so, uh, obviously, I know Danny the best. I know Justin the least. And that's just because in the last three years with COVID and this garbage, you know, we, meaning the broadcasters, haven't really been able to have the access that we used to have where you're down on the floor and you can have those casual conversations and get to know people. And so that's been limiting in our role, and hopefully that will change. But, I mean, I know Danny from... It's funny. People would say, uh, well, you guys go back to BYU together. We, we really don't, right? Danny's six years older. And so he's the great player that I grew up watching. And, you know, he and Devin Durant are the two that inspired me to go to BYU and kind of continue that basketball tradition. And so I, I don't really know Danny from those days. And then if you think about it, I don't know him in my playing days because the year I, before I get drafted by Boston, he's traded to Sacramento. He only plays half a year there, and then he goes to Phoenix and Portland. So now I know him as an opponent. And sure, there's a bond because we both played at BYU, and he knew all my Celtic teammates, so he's in our locker room after the games. But still, I don't get to know him, right? Like, we haven't had time together. But when he starts broadcasting for TNT, and I'm now finished playing and broadcasting Clipper games, I just called him out of the blue and said, I'm coming to Phoenix. Clippers are playing the Suns. Do you want to go tee it up? We'd never golf together. We'd never spend any time together. And it was like an immediate, not just bond friendship, but competition at the highest level. Like, he'd been scratch golfer since he was 16. I was recently a scratch golfer, and, like, we just went at it. But the banter and the fun and the, the I'm just going to say, the high-level discussion of either the intricacies of golf and the subtleties of that game, but also it evolved into everything to do with sports, you know, basketball, strategy. I mean, we've had discussions to the nth degree about why doesn't basketball hire a, an offensive coordinator like football? And why doesn't basketball have a guy sit up in the stands who's on a headset and, you know, can communicate with the bench? And, you know, why don't we do this? And, and, and so, I mean, we've had those talks for the last 20 years in every way. So personnel and so the guy's a winner and the Jazz are lucky to have him. And I think great things are in store. I mean, I think you've got the foundation of a, a young, great team. And for anybody who's like, thinks you can make an easy move in the NBA and get another great guy, it's really hard. And like, I, I would even ask the two of you, Donovan is so good. I, I almost dare you both 
to find me someone you would trade Donovan for. I'll give you anyone in the NBA. Who would you trade him for? Anyone right now. Like just throw a couple. Just throw a couple names. Uh, out. Booker, I, I, every name I wanted to throw out there, I dismissed because they're too old and they're starting to break down. I wanted to go to Durant. I'm like, I can't throw Durant out there when he just got injured no, again. You're right. You can't go for yeah. another one. Uh, the Joker, Giannis, the last two okay. MVPs. Okay, so those are both maybes. Like, like those are both to be considered. But those are almost the only two. Uh, I've heard people tell me John Morant, and I'd be like, nope, I won't do it can't shoot would you do booker because i know a lot of people would say booker yeah but you've got to have the perfect point guard mm-hmm. to make booker great right you got to have a chris paul you've got to have that kind of you know a type leader who's just can dominate the ball and get him the ball in the perfect spot and booker's great don't get me wrong he just went for 48 he went for 30 the game before he, he shoots it at a different level and he plays in the mid-range but again ask me that question like mike would you trade, and I'm the GM, Booker for Donovan straight up? I probably say no. Like I, I just I think Donovan has more, and that's yeah. crazy, right? That's that's how good it, he is. You so really only Joker and Giannis are your two choices. But if you already have Rudy, you don't need Joker, and they're not going to mesh together. And so does Giannis play with? Rudy, and it's probably not. That's how good the foundation of this team is right now. So it's more about can we find little pieces that make us better? Can we make a tweak here? Can we find, you know, everyone says, let's go get a wing defender. It's easier said than done. Luka Doncic. That's a good one. Another great question. And, you know, probably the best young talent in the league considering he's 21. So four years younger. But again, until Luca gets me to the conference finals, I'm going to say no, right? Like, I don't know that they can get there the way he handles the ball so much. But he's incredible. He's incredible. And give Dallas credit right now because I think they've won nine of ten. Eight of nine or nine of ten, and I kind of was counting them out like these guys are not going to win, and Jason Kidd's got them playing some good ball right now. Mike, we'll leave it right there. We appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you on the game tonight. Jazz and Rock at 7 o'clock. You'll be on the pregame show with Alema at 6.30. Okay, PK, give me an idea. When does the weather get to be golf weather? since I haven't lived here before. Well, it depends on where you live, man. If you want to go south, you can uh, get it almost any time. Uh, That's true, huh? <laughs> you're going to have to wait till mid-March. Or oh, maybe, no. Maybe you just have a couple of days and you get on a plane and you go to Palm Springs. There you go. All-star break. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. Have a great one. All right. Thank you very much. Mike Smith joining us. Jazz Broadcasting right there on 97.5 at 1280. The Zone. Sniggy, when we come back, I'll give you the one reason why he would never trade Booker for Mitchell. That's next. Stay with us. Unright. You guys are doing a hell of a job. I just believe it can't be status quo for Utah. Because if it's status quo, USC, Oregon are gonna go, they're gonna blow by Utah in the next couple of years. Utah's gotta get bolt. They gotta get creative. They gotta get outside the box. They gotta get some big time recruits. Bigger than what they've been getting. 
That is unbelievable. Catch Unrivaled with Scott Mitchell and Alex Kieran. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. It's a win tickets Wednesday right now. We got a four-pack of tickets to see the Utah Grizzlies. Caller 12 right now wins the family four-pack to see the Grizzlies and the Allen Americans January 21st at the Maverick Center, and that is Friday night. 855-340-ZONE right now. 855-340-ZONE. All right, PK, what do you got? Well, you never trade Booker for Mitchell because Booker – has a very good opportunity to have a Kardashian as a mother-in-law. You don't want that. <laughs> Stay in the Kardashian-free zone. Too Come much on. drama. Come on. Bum, 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 bum. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Make sure you join us tomorrow. Dennis Dodd, national college football writer for CBSSports.com. He's got a story out on the Big 12, going to divisions, where they're headed. You'll hear from him tomorrow right here on The Zone Sports Network.